0: Well, we want to go into a time of teaching, and we're trusting you've been blessed already by being in the presence of God. We are trusting that you've allowed yourself to even be used by the Spirit to pray and to minister to people, whether they're in the same room as you or they don't even know that you're praying for them. But we're just excited for what we what God's Word has in store for us here today. Now, over these past several weeks, we've been looking at some defining moments in the life and the ministry of Jesus as we just journey through this Lenten season. And again, just as a side note regarding Lent, I just encourage you to take this time and just just use it to encourage yourself to use it to meditate and to examine where you're at in your life right now. Because traditionally, these 40 days leading up to Easter, it's a time of fasting. It's a time of prayer. It's a time that we give up things so we can focus more on Christ and putting him in in, in a priority, central place in our life. And I, and I encourage you to just have those conversations if you haven't already been. Look for the, maybe, maybe God is calling you to let go of some things during this season, and not just for this season, but to finally just let go of them, and to finally surrender them completely to him. Maybe there's some habits or some behaviors or some attitudes that he's calling you to just lay down during this time. Or maybe it's it's the complete opposite. Maybe he's calling you to pick up some attitudes or behaviors so you can fully live out this life, this resurrected new life that we find in Christ. And maybe he needs you to pick those things up so that you'll be able to do that. So we encourage that you're just, you're mindful and you're in prayer during this season. And during this series, during this journey, we've looked at all the way from Jesus' baptism, and we're going to go all the way to the triumphal entry. Now, we've looked at his baptism, we've looked at his temptation in the desert, and when we looked at those two, we were reminded and we took note that those two actually go hand in hand. They are actually connected. First, we saw the baptism and just the spiritual high of that time, that threefold blessing of the Father that you are my son, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased with. And we, and we, and we noted that through Jesus' baptism, what he is showing is that he came earth to stand in our place. He came to die our death. He came to pay our punishment. He came to bear our consequences for our sin and our shortcomings. And we know that right after that baptism, he went into the desert. And that happens so much in our life. We have this spiritual high, this nourishment, this surrendering of something, this, this opportunity of the kingdom being built in us and through us and we're seeing that being advanced and we have probably have experienced it in our life when that happens we experience this pushback don't we like Jesus had the spiritual high of his baptism and then immediately after that he had the challenges he had the difficulties of the desert and that how that plays out in our life that the desert does play a role in our life the desert sometimes is the place where idols get uprooted sometimes the desert is a place where we put christ more of a priority in our life and after his temptation we looked at his core teachings and specifically we looked at the sermon on the mount and we talked about that sermon about how radical and how revolutionary his teachings were and still are. That Jesus in that core teaching, in that Sermon on the Mount, he teaches us about the kingdom of heaven. He gives us this beautiful picture, right? This, we, 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 we look at it more as a beautiful mosaic of his kingdom. But as we look closer at that mosaic, we found that it was really a picture of Jesus as well. That Jesus has a tendency, we found in his teachings and in that Sermon on the Mount, that the law, the former law, the Torah, dealt with all of these behaviors, but they were surface behaviors. And we find that through t- Jesus' teachings, what he tends to do so well is he probes below the surface, because there's so much going on below the surface of that behavior, and he gets to the issue of that. He gets the root of it. He gets to the heart of that. Last week, we looked at the healings and the miracles of Jesus. And we talked about how Jesus not only was teaching about the kingdom, but he also was enacting the kingdom as well. That his healings and his miracles of Jesus, what they were doing, one of the things that we looked at is they actually point us forward. They point us forward to the way that things will be one day when Christ returns and makes everything whole and rights every wrong. And restores all our creation, that his healings and his miracles actually point to a day where we will experience that again. Now, Jesus has talked about it, he has demonstrated his kingdom, but as is typical of Jesus, he doesn't want it to be just about his ability to bring the kingdom to the people, he wants it to extend beyond his short life. After all, Jesus is this dead man walking, right? And it can't just be up to him to extend the kingdom to the rest of the people. Technically, he's God, and it could be all up to him. But he doesn't, that's not the way he wants it. He wants you, he wants me, he wants us to be involved in that work. So as any good teacher will tell you, after you have taught about it, after you've demonstrated it, Then it's time to send your students out to go and do it themselves. And that's where we actually find ourselves today. And that's where we find Jesus in chapter 10. Now, before we read this passage in, in chapter 10, I want to just discuss some of the issues that are going on in the background here. Because as I dug into this passage, I found myself coming back to some of the same themes that maybe you find yourself bumping up against as you have read and as you have studied Matthew's gospel. And I think it's going to be helpful before we actually read it, because some of the questions I had at least can be partially answered by understanding, first of all, that the gospel of Matthew was written primarily to a Jewish audience. We need to keep that in the back of our mind, because that's a big factor in how we read and how we journey through the gospel here. It's important because as, as, as such, Matthew uses a lot of imagery. He uses a lot of references and a lot of key words that would have spoken to his Jewish audience that they would have understood and grasped. He has one point, really, in his gospel, and he's trying to make it all point back to this idea. Jesus is the Messiah that we've all been waiting for. That's the point he's been trying, he's trying to get across to this Jewish audience. Jesus is the Messiah that we've been waiting on. For example, the moment that Matthew actually starts his gospel, he begins with the genealogy. We all know that first chapter, right? Because we probably have skipped over it every time we read Matthew. We're like, I don't need to read the genealogy. It's just a bunch of names. And we skip over it to get to the Christmas story, right? However, for Matthew's Jewish audience, it's a very important text. Because by including it, Matthew, what he's doing is he's pointing Jesus back to King David, proving that Jesus is part of the royal lineage. And some of these references and some of these key words are present in this passage, in chapter 10 as well. So to start off chapter 10, this is what we read. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the first time that Matthew names the 12 disciples. And Jesus' next teaching here actually focuses on these 12 men. Now, for Matthew's Jewish audience, 12 disciples is an immediate reference, Back to the twelve tribes of Israel. So what he's doing by naming these twelve is actually connecting his audience, Jesus' narrative, to Israel's narrative. We see Matthew using this term disciple and apostle here, actually. And interesting, this is the only place where we where the twelve get referred to as apostles. Now the word disciple it means student. It's really what it means. It means someone who is under the instruction of a teacher. And it was actually not out of the ordinary for teachers of that day to have disciples. We know that John the Baptist had disciples. A disciple is someone who is learning the way of whoever their teacher is. Now, the word apostle, it means something a little bit different. Apostle means this, those who are sent as representatives. So a disciple is someone who is learning the way of the teacher, but an apostle is one with authority. It's one who participates in what is happening on behalf of the teacher. So it's up to these 12 apostles that Jesus issues this following teaching. In verse 5, this is what we read. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Now Jesus is sending the 12 out, but right now only to the lost sheep of Israel. He wants them to go to the Jews first to communicate that God will continue to be faithful to his covenant of it, to Israel. And Matthew is communicating to this primarily Jewish audience that God actually has not forgotten about that promise. And that Jesus wants the apostles to go first to those people and communicate all of this about the kingdom of heaven to them first. Now, this is only an an initial instruction. If we fast forward to chapter 28, you know, we, we read something a little bit different, right? Um, we, it, it's what Jesus is, one of the last things that Jesus says to his disciples, and, and notice notice what he has done. He he tells them to um, go and make disciples of all nations, he says. He says, go and make disciples of all nations nations in chapter 10 that we just read it's a temporary limitation that in chapter 10 it's only for the lost sheep of Israel but by the end of Matthew's gospel it actually extends to all of the nations the passage continues in verse 7 it says as you go proclaim this message the kingdom of heaven has come near heal the sick raise the dead, and cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, and freely you have received, freely give. So this is their mission. This is their mission. Go and do as you have seen me do. That's their mission. He, he's telling his disciples, he says, you've heard me talk about it. You've actually seen me do it. Now you go and you do what you've seen me do. He's saying talking about it is just as important as doing it. And doing it is just as important as talking about it. We, the gospel continues in verse 9. And it says, Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No, <coughs> no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals, or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. So, Jesus' instructions here seem pretty strict to me, actually. These guys, think about it, they're going to be walking around for miles and miles and miles. They're going to be going from one place to another. And Jesus says, You know what, guys? Don't take an extra shirt. Don't take an extra shirt. Don't even take money to pay for food. Now, sometimes this passage gets pulled out and is used as a timely truth that we're not supposed to do that. You know, that concerns me because, to be honest, I like having more than one shirt. I like having more than one pair of shoes. And it's an interesting stipulation that we find here, right? I think Jesus' point here is twofold. First, don't expect to get rich off of this work, he's telling them. But secondly, there seems to be this correlation between what the apostles are being sent out to do and what the prophets are being sent out to do. It's a very similar thing going on here. The conditions are very similar to to what both prophets and these apostles are expecting and being told to do. continues in verse 11. It says, Whatever town or village you enter... Search there for some worthy person and stay at their house. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Hospitality was one of the chief virtues of the Mediterranean. And to be honest, it still is. If you ever go to the Mediterranean, uh, you will see the hospitality there. So it's not strange that the 12 could expect actual people to take them in and to provide for them while they were with them. That phrase, shake the dust off your feet, though, that was a Jewish tradition. That was a Jewish practice of shaking the profane dust off their feet as they were entering from a less holy place into a more holy place. Or, it was used when they were leaving pagan territories to enter into the Holy Land. Regardless, it indicates a rejection in anticipation of judgment. Jesus's specific instructions to the apostles were for a particular mission at a particular time. Now, we know that the mission isn't finished yet. What began in chapter 10 continues in chapter 28 with that extension to all of the nations. Then it goes on to Acts chapter 2. And then that's followed by Acts chapter 8. And then Acts chapter 9. And it goes through the centuries and the generations and and the rise and the fall of kingdoms and empires. All the while, the reign of God The kingdom of God is still active and working. Now, these instructions were maybe specific to a particular mission. We still have the same mission. And we are part of this kingdom of heaven that is breaking through and is still actively working. So we still have a mission in front of us that the work is not done yet. And I think there are four things that Jesus says here that we need to hear today. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, here's the mission I have for you. The first thing that we can see is, be my ambassadors. He says, be my ambassadors. Jesus is saying, I'm extending my authority to you. He's extending his authority to us to be his representatives to the world. Now, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then we, then we must always remember that the world is looking to see how we act, to see what we say and who we love, and unfortunately, all too often, who we hate as well. See, the world is watching, and yes, that often means we are held to a higher standard or a different standard than many other people. Yes, it's an enormous responsibility that we cannot take lightly. But we are Jesus's ambassadors to this world. See, when we speak, when we act, people are supposed to better understand who Jesus is by observing us. So take, a, a, take some stock right now. Examine where you're at with the way that you speak, with the way that you act, with the way you treat people, with the way that you love people. What do you think people are observing through you to get their picture of Jesus? Do you think it's that beautiful mosaic? In the Sermon on the Mount that they are experiencing through your words and your actions and your reactions? Are people understanding who Jesus is, the way that Jesus is portrayed, the way that he says he is, who he says he is in his word? Or are you portraying him in a negative light and people are seeing a negative light of who Jesus might be? So we are his ambassadors. Another thing that we can learn from this passage here is this. We need to proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. That we need to proclaim that message, actually. See, when Jesus took on flesh to live and walk amongst us, it was the first act of God's activity to restore all of creation. See, it was the dawn of this new kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. And Jesus' teachings and miracles set the example for us of what the kingdom is supposed to be. So we actually might have our first taste of it. The way to be human of what is to come. Another translation will put it this way. It says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, It's at hand, right? So... Jesus, as part of his enacting of the kingdom of heaven, he took on disease and illness. He took on suffering and brokenness in all of its forms before finally taking on that last stronghold of this fallen world, death. We, however, know that death is is not the end of the story. That in his resurrection he contradicts that known reality he brings all things even life and death under the reign of God and a part of the kingdom of heaven and it's all at hand so the apostles are charged with proclaiming this message right that the kingdom of God has come near and is at hand and we're being charged to proclaim the same message We're charged with proclaiming that message, and we are charged to live that out as well. Because we live under the reign of God, we have seen the kingdom life, right? And as people who have experienced the resurrection, we understand the freedom and the joy and the light that the resurrection can bring. And we're supposed to live that out. We're supposed to proclaim that in our world today. We not only proclaim, but we need to live the kingdom out for others to see and experience for themselves. This means being with the sick and hungry in their times of suffering so that we can actually be part of God's activity in their lives. Trusting that our small actions are windows into the promise that God will take all of the pain, all of the brokenness, and restore it and bring life out of it. You see, knowing the joy of resurrection allows us to more deeply know the pain of suffering. See our proclamation that the kingdom is at hand must be accompanied by our doing. Theologian NT Wright in his book Surprised by Hope says there are actually two ways that we are called to do the work of the kingdom. First he says is our justice work, making things right again. See the desire and the attention intention of God from Genesis to Revelation is for all the wrong things of the world to be made right again. And we can participate in that. And there's another way we can participate in the work of the kingdom according to right, and that's through beauty. See, it's part of our being made in God's image that we are made to create, that we can appreciate the beauty of what is created. All of our creation is made new, and in the kingdom of God, we get to marvel at that new reality, which means we are doing kingdom work not only when we do justice work, but also when we are creating things and appreciating the beauty of the created things. See, Wright's point is that when we give ourselves to works of justice and beauty of putting things to right in the community and of highlighting the glory a creation, and the glory yet to be revealed. The proclamation of the kingdom will flourish out of that. See, when we give ourselves to the work, it creates this fertile ground for the proclaiming to happen. The next thing that we can find in this passage, in this message to his disciples, is that we need to do it without fanfare or pretense. The apostles were told to limit what they brought for the journey, to just show up as they are with what they have. And I think that is what Jesus is telling us as well. Just the way you are, with what you already have inside of you. Go tell them about the kingdom. You do your part, whatever that is. Whatever was put in you, he is saying, go and do that. We need, we need you to do that. We need you to go out and do that. And Wright says again, he says, you you are strange though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every act of care and nurture or comfort and support for one's fellow human beings, and for that matter, one's fellow fellow non-human creations. And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God, into the new creation that God one day will one day make. That is the logic of the mission of God. See, we each of us, we each have this role to play within the kingdom. You were created on purpose for a purpose. Did you know that? You were created on purpose for a purpose. Nothing about you is a mistake. Nothing. And there are probably some here today that need to hear that or that need to be reminded of that, that you were created on purpose for a purpose and that nothing about you is a mistake. That God wants to use everything that he, that he has put inside of you to do kingdom work. That you have this role to play in the kingdom of heaven, and that God has put something inside of you that only you can do. You see why we need you? See, whatever it is that you need to do, we need you to do it. We need you to be part of this work because you have a specific role to fill. You were created on purpose for a purpose. So what are the things that have been put inside of you that you can offer the kingdom? Is something that you can ask and search out this coming week? Then the last thing, the fourth thing, that we we can get out of this message to the disciples is this, expect acceptance and rejection. Some will welcome you. Some will feed you and clothe you. And provide a place for you to rest. And they will receive the kingdom. But not everyone will. Some will reject what you have to say. Now don't get me wrong, Jesus says. This mission is difficult. This is work. But when you confront the empire, the empire will strike back. So he wants them to be prepared to have both celebration stories and failures on the other side of this mission. And you know what? So should we. Sometimes we will be able to tell stories of lives transformed by the proclamation, and we will celebrate those stories as evidence of the kingdom. But sometimes, though, sometimes, we will tell stories of shaking the dust off our sandals, of being misunderstood, or being marginalized, or being rejected. But here's what I know. Just as the kingdom of God is a work in progress, a work that is breaking through but is not yet completed, so are we. Just because some will reject what we have to say or call our kingdom work foolish, it is always worth doing it because in the end, God brings all things to completion. God will finish God's work because this is God's kingdom to build, and to complete. And it's not my kingdom. It's not my kingdom. So I'm not responsible for finishing it because the work of God's, because the work is God's work to complete. Now, don't get me wrong. Even though it's not my responsibility to finish and complete it, it's still my responsibility to participate in it, to have a role in it, just like you. You're not going to finish the work. You're not going to complete the work. That's God's responsibility. Your responsibility is to participate in this work that is going on. And I hope you hear freedom in that today, that you don't feel you have to finish this and complete this work, and you can take that burden off of yourself. And I want to remind you that the work you are doing is not yours to complete, but it is yours to participate in. It's God's work. And God, in his graciousness, allows us to just come alongside and to help and to participate in this work. May God's kingdom come. May God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us for this specific mission that you have sent us out into this world to be your ambassadors. And I pray that we're representing you well, that when people are observing us and watching us, they get a clear picture and a clear understanding of who you really are. And there's things that we need to work on. Maybe the picture we're giving the people in our lives isn't giving the right picture of who Jesus is. Reveal those things to us, so we can lay them down and surrender them to You, because we want to, we want to be part of creating that beautiful mosaic of who Jesus is. Lord, we know that this this work is not easy, and it's hard. There's going to be times where we have great joys in it, but there's going to be times where we have great sorrow and rejection. But it, we need to understand we we. We need to do the work. We need to continue to be on mission and connect with people and point them to Jesus. Help us to do that. Give us the opportunities this week to do that. We pray this in your name. Amen.